That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. David Miller here, my sidekick. Dr. Michelle, Dr. Michelle, what's Michelle up? Pobega, ND. What's up? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Back from my 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 adventures, and it took me like a good week to feel like <laughs> a little bit like myself. I slept a lot over the long weekend, I gotta say. Got, got some sparkle back? I got a little bit of sparkle back. Yeah. Nice. A little sparkle. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's what you bring to the podcast, a lot of sparkle. So You're let's the bring best. it. I, yeah, totally, what are... I totally pay him to say that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, l- listen, I, I got I'm in my I'm in my scrubs. You can't see on the podcast. But I'm in my scrubs because I uh, just finished uh, clinic work earlier. And I did the I did these tests today Ooh. on my last patient. So it's very relevant what we're going to awesome. talk about today. This was this this topic was like my idea, but but Dave and I have talked about this before. But I was like, we need to talk about it because it's becoming far too common for me to see that it's a test that's extremely relevant, that's extremely important, but very overlooked, and it's driving me bonkers. <laughs> oh, totally. And we actually we admitted both of us admitted, uh, and now we admit to you the people yes we didn't do this test a lot for oh my god i haven't done it let me see what's this 13 years for the first 11 years of practice probably i didn't run it very much no me neither you know in all fairness and i think i've admitted this on a previous podcast is that um i was always very hesitant or skeptical to want to ask people to run tests and i was always skeptical or hesitant about being like go back to your doctor and ask for these and i always felt sheepish about asking people to do more um where now i'm now i think in the last mm, i would say in the last five to six years um my confidence as a clinician has 
vastly improved since the mm-hmm. first seven years of my practice or however many I, my math sucks, the first five to six years of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last, and I've been coming more and more comfortable with asking for uh, asking clients to order labs and being confident in my decision. And now I'm not just ordering labs for the sake of ordering labs. I'm ordering labs because I think that they serve a valuable purpose in disclosing or uncovering how we need to move forward to support this person. So I just want to make that clear. I'm not just having people do thousands of dollars worth of labs for the sake of just stuff like that. Um, but, but I was in the same, I'll say I was in the same position for a long yeah. period of time. And especially yeah. with this one, because these this pair of lab tests that we'll talk about, uh, they're, I don't, I mean, we're in Ontario, we deal with life labs primarily. Is that who you deal with life labs? So I think, which is, which can be a nightmare at times, but I will, uh, (laughs) I won't say anymore. It's a whole other Uh, podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think the combination of these tests would be 60 bucks or something like that. Is it because we're going to talk about fasting insulin and fasting glucose, the combination about 60, 50, 60. Uh, if you do a insulin, insulin glucose challenge. I believe it's maybe like 40 bucks. Oh, okay. And you, I, and that includes both fasting as well as the, the half an hour, one hour and two hours post glucose okay. challenge retest. Okay. Practical note that I didn't really think about, but I, I really just personally, look, we, we can do things a little differently. I guess I'll stature press. I just do the, the two because I, yeah. I feel like, um, uh, the two hour, that's two hour that you're doing the oral glucose tolerance test. The it's, OGTT. it's more of a commitment for some people. Yeah, some it's people just more of a to... commitment. Exactly. But, but 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 if we just did, let's say 40 to 60 bucks, I it this I can think of way stupider ways to spend 40 to 60 bucks now. And uh especially you go for a pint, it's like 10 bucks, then you yeah. got a tip. You know, like there's some there's some really stupid ways or 10 bucks for uh raspberries at the wrong time of year <laughs> where I live. Oh my god, it's terrible. Anyway, so <laughs> So it's a one, it's, it's not, it's maybe not a, a massive uh, thing for, or a massive investment for a lot of you out there it might just be like, uh, whatever. I, you know, you, you people who make bank good for you, but I am trying to, we're trying to uh, help just the average person too. And so we do take cost into consideration, but I still think the importance of this test at 60 bucks, let's say as a upper range let's, yeah. is let's so important. Yeah, it's so important. It's it's money well spent. It's like your thirty eight bucks you spend on your vitamin D. You gotta get some of these things tested. It's not like you're testing yeah. them every week. Yeah. Right. So anyway. no, no. I mean, I feel in the last two years, standard lab testing has become something I am much more comfortable knowing what to test, how to how to interpret that information probably in the last, I would say three years becoming more well-versed in how to interpret it and, and not just looking for the things that have been flagged by the lab, because sure, that just means you're not in an overtly diseased state, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily mm-hmm. in the best place. And I know we've touched on in several lab, um, in, in talks with labs, like there's optimal range and there's just the reference range, which means that you're not in a critical diseased state, but that doesn't mean you're in a good place of health. Yeah, so, exactly. Or if you've got like a prevalent thing like anemia or okay. iron deficiency in women. So your range has, has normalized a state of deficiency. I so, can't even with the, I know the we've already levels. talked about that when we beat that one to death, but it's just, it's just like, it behooves me how it just gets so on, on, uh, like just overlooked anyways, um, labs have become just much more of a part of how I want to practice now because there's nice. so much to see and it's an important, and it's nice for clients to have those visual cues. Yeah. 
And for me to point out, here's, this is out of balance. We want to tweak that. This is where you should be. This is where you are now. So they have something tangible as well. And I find that that also helps get them in the headspace for this. Um, but the blood sugars, like, can we, can, like, we need to, we need to address the fact that metabolic health is not, okay. How do I reword this? We are not in a good metabolic state of health as North Americans, right? And a big contributing factor for that is poor blood sugar regulation, but more importantly, insulin resistance. So when mm -hmm. I get lab work and in standard practice, what I see from standard medical physicians and family doctors is they're running fasting insulin, fasting glucose and HbA1c now helpful for sure. I see random glucose more. And I'll what, see random glucose. Yeah. Which it's not is always fasting, not that but... useful. <clears throat> no. Right. No. It's random. And then <laughs> it <says> it. <laughs> the HbA1c for people who are listening is really a measurement of how your blood sugar has been regulated for the last three months. And this is how I tell people, my clients, this, I look through the whole labs and if I don't see insulin on the lab values and I was like, well, this is great, but it doesn't tell me the whole story because mm -hmm. insulin. So for anybody who's not a practitioner or a therapist out there, a clinician insulin, you need to secrete insulin when sugar enters your bloodstream, because then it's the way it's basically the messenger system to help glucose get into the cell. You need insulin to let glucose out of the bloodstream and into the cell. And insulin resistance is when your cells are not responding to the cues of insulin. So then your body pumps out more to try to like be louder at being like, yo, open the door, let the glucose in kind of thing. So for me, when I see an HbA1c, that's like a 5.5 or 5.4. I'm like, yeah, in theory, that's good. That's within the healthy range. We want that between five to 5.5 and same with fasting glucose. We want it between five to 5.5. But I was like, but what if your body's overcompensating with pumping, having to pump out a crap ton of insulin to get that result because your cells are insulin resistant. That's the missing piece. And that is a big missing piece in today's society. So that's why this particular test has become more important to me to, 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 to run more regularly, especially with with majority of my clients, basically hormone related for like PCOS. If they're trying to do weight loss, if it's, if it's anything cardiovascular disease, I'm running the insulin, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's one of those foundation. I tell people, it's like one of these foundational physiological set points that when it's off, it, it's like a joker card. It's like a bogey. It, it just sort of screws up everything else. So uh, for example, like we've talked about um, running inflammatory markers like CRP and uh, ESR. Mm -hmm. And for example, if those are high and you've got insulin resistance, well, I, I would suggest probably with most of my, uh, with most of my patients, we correct the insulin resistance first and see if the inflammation comes down because insulin resistance can lead to inflammatory states. It can lead to so many, like it's a foundational physiological set point upon which so many other things are built. It's like oxygenation, pH, blood sugar. These are like so foundational uh, set points, right? So they, they can have a lot of um, uh, things that go awry when they're off. So if you fix the core things, which is, I guess what we're always trying to do as naturopaths, right? Fix those core things. And a lot of I call it pathological dust settles. So I, Michelle, I, I, like I ran on this woman today, I think uh, because I'm telling her, look, it's the same thing I said at the beginning, like 
this is becoming kind of like a almost standard issue thing to look into for almost every patient. But in her mm-hmm. case, she was like having, she, she eats amazing. She does so well, but she's got like 30 or 40 pounds that she thinks she's, um, you know, she's heavier than she thinks she should be or whatever. So I'm like, look, insulin tells the body to store, right? So let's test it. And so I just find myself running it pretty much every day. Yeah. And then the, and then the step above that, because I was taking some lab course, probably maybe like a year ago or something. And they were saying doing fasting insulin and fasting glucose, they can then check your HOMA IR score, which tests whether or not you're insulin resistant. So you need to have both. You put it through a calculator. I have one that I just bookmark on my, on my, uh, in my computer and it converts it to, um, the right, um, what's the word I'm looking for units of measurement. And then it puts it through this calculation. Um, and I'm getting a lot of people like anything that's above, what is it a 2.5 or something like that is considered insulin resistance. I'm getting people at like three and four and I'm like, what is happening with our world? (laughs) Yeah, no, like it says above 2.9 and and one of the the places you can check it out is the blood code. If you go, that's the one that I use. Yeah. If you go to the blood code, if you search the blood code and uh, calculators, you'll see it there. And if you have your SI units, if you're in Canada, you can put in your SI units and and convert convert them. And then it will, but anything, it will calculate the IR. Anything IR. that's between two to two point nine is still pre-insulin resistant. So you don't want to just settle for that. So it's nice that they give you the ranges. And I'm getting people who are well above the insulin resistant, you know, upper upper range. So that's a problem. But then when I took this blood course uh, lab test uh, webinar course a year ago, she was suggesting doing the insulin, uh, two hour insulin glucose challenge, because, um, for a lot of people, they may still have relatively normal fasting insulin, but when glucose comes into their system, it behaves abnormally or their body's response is, um, exceptional in the sense that it goes, it it releases too much in order to manage a certain level of glucose. So this is unfortunately more of a time commitment for people. And when everyone's always like, I don't have enough time to do stuff. What I will have to say is that if you value your health, just make time this one time to go get this test done, make that commitment. So you have to go in in a fasting state. They measure your glucose and your insulin. You drink this gnarly glucose drink. We talked about this with Brianne Callanan. Remember, she said that you can, they don't want to drink the glucose drink. They can, go to, they can go to McDonald's and, and have specific things. And we were dying laughing about that. But then you go back and they measure your insulin and glucose at a 30 minute mark, one hour mark, and a two hour mark because the dynamics of how your body actually responds mm-hmm. to that cue is even more invaluable than just a static number. So, um, especially people who have weight loss issues or even like PCOS, and I want to really understand the insulin resistance in a more dynamic way. I'm definitely urging them to get that one a little bit more strongly now. Mm-hmm. It's up that this one's up there. Uh, uh, checking HOMA IR with fasting insulin, fasting glucose is up there now for me with ferritin, inflammatory yeah. markers, vitamin D, mm-hmm. um, total iron binding capacity, uh, CPC, and then uh, you know that that's those are the main ones for me. It's that. Yeah. It's that important. Cholesterol, like I run cholesterol standardly because a lot of people like to see that, but I find I'm less trigger happy about cholesterol. I'm more concerned with people's blood sugar regulation because that will also affect your cholesterol. Exactly. That, and that's so, what I was, you know, when I went on that tirade about it being a fine, uh, a sort of like foundational mm-hmm. set point, that's, that's what I'm getting at there. Because if, if you've got, say you got like five major sort of 
areas of concern in your workup, including your blood work and everything, and one of them is insulin resistance, then I would say fixing insulin resistance or addressing it, uh, you know, comprehensively, intelligently will then lead to a bunch of those other problems just going away. Yeah. It'll take, it'll take a priority uh, more often than not. It will take a priority in the grand scheme of, uh, of how you need to like systematically work through someone's health concerns. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it's low on the hierarchy sort of thing, meaning it affects so many other things on top of it. It's what's wild to me though, is that I get so many standard blood tests that are run through with medical doctors where it's completely absent, but they're also somebody who's on diabetic medication and it's never been run or mm. they have cardiovascular disease and it's never been run or they're obese and it's never been run or they're struggling with weight or thyroid or it's just not done. And it's mind boggling to me. And then there are clients of mine that, you know, we try to get, we try to appeal, appeal to their doctor to run things through OHIP because that's why we pay our tax dollars. Correct. So, um, we try to get them to that and I'll have armed my clients with a list. And I said, if we can't, if they refuse to do certain things, come back to us, let reception know, and then we will put together a requisition form. You just have to pay out of the pocket for the, for the extraneous labs, and then we can get everything done. But it's almost, I don't think I've ever had a doctor agree to run the fasting insulin in any of my recommendations. They've often said, you don't need that, or they'll just ignore it and just not even bother running it, but they blatantly yeah. ignore it. But this person is struggling with their health and it's, it, it's mind boggling. It, I don't get it. It doesn't I make think sense to me. It, I mean, we we're in the old boys club, um, OHIP land of Ontario, Canada. So they, they are probably a little bit uh, more rigid in terms of their algorithms that they can order things. Um, and I think if you're testing something that doesn't fit your treatment paradigm, like if, if, if you're why they may think, well, why would I look for that? If I, if I'm not going to treat based on that, I'm wondering if that's why they do it. But regardless, um, our job as naturopaths is, is to bridge that. Like, uh, I wouldn't say, I don't want to call it like cutting edge or anything because testing insulin is not cutting edge, but using it clinically for chronic disease management might be a little bit more, let's say, unconventional, but still rational as. Yeah. <laughs> Considering that there's an insulin resistant and metabolic health epidemic happening in North America, I feel like it takes a high priority. Yeah. 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 And right. And and I, I talk to people, about, I talk to patients about this too. It's like, here's the normal sort of trajectory in the Western medicine, traditional, not traditional, conventional thing. It's like, you're fine. You're fine. Five years later, you're fine. You're fine. Five years later, you're fine. Oh, today you've got diabetes. <laughs> like, right? you're like, oh, that sprung up on us, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's overnight. I, it seems overnight I've, <laughs> I've acquired the sugar. You know? The sugars, the blood, the, the diabetes. It just came out of nowhere, you guys. Meanwhile, you're probably like, it never you does. Had, you had like 20 years of insulin resistance. You gained 40 pounds. Your insulin or your cholesterol went up. Your triglycerides went up. Uh, you know, like it doesn't just come out of nowhere. And so that's why I think when we have an opportunity to see something on the horizon, like something as, I mean, life altering as diabetes, full, full diabetes, if you've got the opportunity to stop, like nip that in the bud, my God, you do. And the, and the way you do it is look at your insulin resistance and then you fix it. Yeah. 
So there's, there's obviously things naturopathically that we're going to do in order to support better insulin sensitivity and better blood glucose, you know, regulation. And some of that involves, involves herbs and supplements, but more of it, more often than not, it's a, it's a consequence of poor lifestyle and dietary habits. So that's the way out of it as well. But for some people, you need to be more aggressive to get them out of that faster than sooner than later. So for people who are listening, it's a dietary and lifestyle habit issue. Simple things can make a big impact. Like I always, like a lot of the conversations that I have with clients are again, fundamentals. Half of your plate should be non-starchy vegetables so that you have an abundance of fiber, vitamins, and nutrients. A quarter of your plate should be proteins and maybe a quarter or something should be a complex carb. And you should have like a couple tablespoons of healthy fats somewhere within the mix. That would be a well-balanced plate in general, as a, as a general overarching kind of like idea of how your plate should be balanced for most people. And if you want to cut out some of those carbs here and then probably a good idea. Um, I find that's a conversation I have recently. I started following someone. Her name is glucose goddess and she's on Instagram and she puts really, really great infographics about blood sugar regulation. And one that came up on my radar from her recently. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so simple. And I probably knew this, but I took it for granted when you're eating, start with your vegetables and fibers, then eat the protein and then eat your carbs last. And that way, by the time you get your carbs, which are going to turn into pure sugars in your body, your body's more equipped to handle that so that your the spike in glucose isn't as quick. It's a little bit more blunted. It's lower. It's more delayed and slow. And then your body's more able to use that glucose more effectively and efficiently. It takes pressure off of the cells and the insulin so that they can all do their job better. So little things like that can go a long way. Yeah. Cool. Um, Fiber's helping out. I, I, any chance I can Shout say out fiber. Fiber, fiber's going to decrease your um, your susceptibility to the ups and downs of uh, glucose and insulin by slowing intestinal transit. We love fiber. We really do. I, I literally <laughs> went and bought two bags of psyllium today. Yes. <laughs> yes. And skipped out the store and went home and had a enviable bowel movement. Maybe. I did. No? does so much more than create an enviable bowel movement. Okay. Um, another one that I think is, sorry, a good key take home um, that people forget is, I mean, especially like not eating right before you go to sleep, leave a good two to three hour window, allow your body to digest before you go lie down and sleep because that affects your granulin and leptin when you're sleeping and that'll affect a bunch of stuff going for like a yeah, circadian walk. rhythms and everything. Like there's so many reasons not to get, getting good sleep, get mm-hmm. a good quality sleep will help your insulin res- like sensitivity and like, or, cause it's a hormone. Your insulin is a hormone and your circadian rhythm affects all of your hormones. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that we honor that. Um, going for a walk 10 minutes after eating and just moving your body gently can also improve your blood sugar regulation. And this is something um, that I tell all of my clients, your breakfast needs to not be a croissant and a coffee or a cup of juice and a piece of toast we need mm. to step away from the carb, quick sugar, fast sugar types of cereals and breakfasts and breakfast foods that we have somehow termed breakfast foods, which are complete garbage for the body that just what a way to start your day on a blood sugar roller coaster for the what rest a way, of the day. Right. Right. Like, how did we get so misguided on this? (laughs) Not made with real fruit, you guys, just for the record. (laughs) Like what a crazy, and that's our kids who are like arguably the most 
valuable little creatures yeah. in our yeah it's just crazy Do anyway you know what i had for breakfast i had a fried egg in bacon fat but it's clean bacon i had some bacon i had a bowl of blackberries on the side and i had some like tomatoes and cucumbers on this on with that Ooh. too that was my breakfast nice and it i was just delightful. talked to, and i talked to someone today about dinner for breakfast he's having trouble seeing like good breakfast and i dinner for breakfast is something we talked about too just like reheating or having something that would be maybe conventionally eaten for dinner for breakfast. Absolutely. So. I tell people breakfast should, you shouldn't look at breakfast any differently than any other meal. Yeah. No fruit loops. Yeah. Get, kick it to the curb guys. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to like, so I'm, I'm with you, like uh diet and lifestyle are going to be absolutely critical. It's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Like that woman, I, I just ran that test for today. She eats really, really well. So she's, I think she's just got like a she, she might have to do some supplements maybe in the end yeah. to, to support it. That's where um, I might kick in some like inositol or berberine. Or yeah, well, I was just like going to ask, what are your, what are your things? And inositol, berberine, there's yeah. gymnema, which is for blood sugar, but then there's also gynostema, which is that gel gland. Who do we talk with about? We talked about uh, that with someone. Super on one of our fun, guests. super fun. What was her name? Asia. Yes. And Jaugulan is great for liver, but it's also good for blood sugar regulation. Cause we're talking about fatty liver because poor blood sugar regulation can cause fatty liver. Hey, Ooh, yeah. guess what guys it's connected to so many problems Ooh, in modern yeah. day society. Um, so those ones are, are, are pretty, pretty dope. Yeah. You stumped me on that one. I knew gymnomo, but I didn't know kind of stem. I, I remember yeah. I conflated, I conflated the two. And it's also an adaptogen and who doesn't need that these days. Let's yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to say for me, the inositol mm -hmm. and berberine are probably, if I'm going to give something to sort of try and uh, help with insulin sensitivity, those would be, those, those would be my two. two. Those are my so, top two, but I'm trying, I, I want, um, now that that Jaugulan or gynostema is back on my radar, I feel like I'm seeing it pop up in random things again. And I think I need to take a little bit more notice of that. That's because um, big tech is listening to you. No, like when I'm reading a book and it's in an ingredients <laughs> list for something. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm starting to be like, oh, look well, it's how, supposed look to be funny because we're using big tech to distribute this, Michelle. Know, I'm sorry, they're always I listening. Feel. It's like the evil eye of Sauron. It's always watching. The unblinking eye. The unblinking eye. Okay. Um, did we get across what we wanted to get across with I, blood I sugar? I know I did. How insulin? do you feel about that? I feel like we got we got it across. I'm I'm glad we spent some specific like we we specifically took the time to spend on this. It's as important as like the time we spent on ferritin and iron evaluation. It's that important. Young NDs, maybe they know better than than we knew when we came out. It's often like that. Some things they forget. Some things they know better. But test your test your patients fasting insulin fasting uh glucose it's a great investment and it's going to make your uh it's going to make your patients lives so much better if you can nip it in the bud and give a better assessment and better treatment a hundred percent yes i concur okay super it's so nice when we agree michelle i know yeah I'll sleep well tonight knowing that we had a we we agreed at the end of this episode. <laughs> okay, well listen, uh thank you everyone for listening to us again and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye everybody. That naturopathic podcast. TNP. Hello there.
Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.